0: The Off-Duty, On-Duty Podcast, episode number 96. I'm your host, Brian. Welcome to the podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com podcast network. On the podcast, we take topics relevant to today's gun owners and tackle them from the perspective of everyday concealed carriers and law enforcement. To give you both angles of discussion today, I'm joined by two guests, uh, a longtime police officer and gun writer, Rob Garrett. And also longtime instructor and retired police officer Mark Frickey. Today we're going to talk about the development of a snub-nose load that we we all kind of roundabout had a hand in, and uh it became uh apparent that uh we needed to find some ammunition to feed our snub-nose revolvers. Which you know, for the average concealed carrier, is a you know pocket revolver, a J frame, an LCR, maybe an ankle gun, and for the uh, your average patrol cop, that's uh, you know a detective's gun or or also a backup gun to your primary service gun. But first, today's episode is brought to you by Manis X at ManusX.com dry fire live fire training aid and barrel block at dot so that you can render your firearm inert when you are training doing dry practice work i don't say the dry f word because wayne dobbs gets real mad about that uh also as always honorary sponsor is edc belt company the foundation belt the most comfortable functional carry belt on the market so let's bring in our guest Rob Garrett and Mark Fricke. How's good it going? Good? good evening, Rob and Mark. Good hey. So, an interesting one. This is kind of a bit of a departure, is uh, we all had a little touch of a hand in uh, what recently became a really viable load or uh, really viable ammunition for a carry revolver. And uh, so, we're going to kind of talk through the need. Uh, the development and the final product which is uh being produced by ga arms georgia ammunition but a uh, little background on that rob garrett and i had a conversation i want to say about a year and a half ago it's like march april of 2020 21 or 22 is it 22 22 yeah yeah um where Daryl bulky and I and Mark and I had had some conversations on the podcast previously about wad cutter ammunition for snub nose 38s and born out of that conversation, uh, is where we are today with a really good snub nose revolver load that's on the market right now. And, and, uh, anywho, so I guess we should probably start with, uh, why was there a need for it? And we'll start with uh, Rob, first off.
1: Well, thank you. It's good to, to be on again, Brian. Mm-hmm. As the folks at Pat Rogers Memorial Roundup, the ballistic shoot that Chuck does, and as your readers know, um, factory 38 special and plus B loads don't work well out of a short barrel snubby uh the gold dot short barrel 135 plus p load was was billed as a a short barrel load but in in march testing and chucks particularly out of a 17 eighths inch j frame it just doesn't get the velocity to perform and a lot of people look back at, at lucky gunner and let me tell you i've got a lot of respect and really appreciate all the work chris baker's done over there with his ammo testing It's a little misleading for J-frame owners because he used a two-inch Kimber K6 for his his 38 loads. And believe it or not, you know, the difference between one and seven-eighths inch and two inches does make a difference. And so, um, and flash, uh, the uh, cylinder gap makes a huge difference as well. And Mark has experienced that, and and he'll jump in here with that. Bore diameter makes a difference, too. Exactly. So as you and I talked and we kind of around Robin and say, wouldn't it be great for XYZ manufacturer to, to jump on this? And Brian, I believe you or someone within the circle made the comment that your agency would not allow the officers to, to carry federal gold medal match wide cutter in their backup weapons because it was billed and advertised and made as a target load. Was that you?
0: I, that, that was just one example there. I I know of several agencies that are like that. And, um, so yeah. And, and our, our conversation, uh, like I was restricted to carrying uh plus P ammunition and the, the plus P ammunition that we had, it was just beaten, beaten my J frames to pieces, right. Uh, timing issues, barrel cylinder gap issues and all that. So <clears throat> Uh, as I approach normal earth people retirement here rapidly, um, I thought, man, it would be really nice to have a wad cutter load that ran sub 800 feet per second that met all of the same like accuracy and consistency as the old gold metal match load, which the gold metal match loads kind of turned into a hen's teeth load here lately. Uh, and it's been kind of cost prohibitive because it's just not in high demand anymore.
1: So, so after the whole discussions, um, I called Curtis Shipley at Georgia Arms and Ammunition up in Villa Rica, Georgia, about two hours northwest of me, and said, "Hey, I'd like to come up. I've got a ton of spent brass that I've collected over the years that I'm never going to reload. I'd like to, to sell it to you, put a little money in the piggy bank, and pitch an idea to you." And so between. We, we met with Curtis, let me tell you, he is a Southern gentleman of the highest degree. He is just a super, super nice guy. And we met, and I pitched it to him, and, and I talked about, you know, Daryl and Chuck and Wayne and Mark and you and our discussions and the viability of it about the at least perceived increase in interest over snubbies in the past couple of years. They seem to have, have come back. Uh, and some people are moving away from the the micro-9s and 380s, as has been covered on other podcasts. And I pitched the idea of, you know, what about a wad cutter load specifically designed for airweight 178-inch J-frames that gives us adequate penetration without excessive recoil? And so we talked to around, and he he was all over it. He said, "Absolutely, he would be uh, more than happy to work with us." Um, his PPC load is well respected, really across the country, and so he was willing to work with us on on a load. Mark and I got together, and we got to talking about uh, his research into wand cutters, and and he's, I'm sure, he, I want him to cover a little bit about his book, and he's, you know, uh, evaluated tens of dozens of, of wide cutter loads. So he's got a, a good uh, a good barometer of where that threshold for velocity is and the hardness of the bullet to get adequate penetration. And so then we looked at what is on the market that meets that need. And the only two, two things really outside of some of the, the match ammunition, and Mark will go into just how wide – the variation in velocity is on some of these match ammos. I mean, my pellet rifle outrun one of the loads he tested. So, but we look at wide cutters. If you're, you're kind of in this circle, you know about Buffalo board and you know about Underwood and they both do a 150 hard cast wide cutter. Neither are really advertised as plus P, but in reality, they're pretty hot loads. And I had both and, you know, out of my, Twenty-year-old six forty-two, the Buffalo boy ran out at nine hundred and fourteen feet per second. Ooh, that's hot! And Underwood ran out at eight sixty-two. Still hot. And <laughs> that's just way too hot for an alloy frame six forty-two, and it's also unnecessary. So we talked about finding that sweet spot, and uh, we we threw some numbers out and. I don't remember if it was uh, me or Mark that said, let's start at 750 and see where we are. Because most of the PPC loads um out of the snubs are running sub seven hundred. But if if seven fifty was a sweet spot, then uh then you figure out that you're a hundred to one hundred and fifty feet per second too hot on the Buffalo bore or, or the uh or the Underwood. So that's where we started. Curtis loaded up a, a test batch and loaded actually several different velocities and sent to Mark and sent some to me. You know, I shot for accuracy. First thing I noticed is 10 yards, they shot spot on to the sights. And that's important to me. Uh, there are a lot of people that I dialogue with, you know, through social media that carry a 110 critical defense. And I say, yeah, but the thing shoots four inches it seven to ten yards and that doesn't seem to bother them um yeah i was that's how I i was pretty um
0: from shooting ppc for years i was i'm very very critical on the accuracy point and i had a terrible time trying to find ammo that would shoot to the sights of an inch and seven eighths j frame uh and then I recently picked up uh, what we all refer to as the soulless Glock revolver, the uh, LCR, uh, <laughs> and, and it's not a knock on Ruger. It's just, yeah, it's just very utilitarian. There's nothing really it's, fancy it's about. Not,
1: it. It's not the same as a J frame. It never will be, right? And but a nice gun, uh, yeah. But a, you know, it's
0: it fits a role, and uh, I couldn't find ammo that shot to the sights for that uh, because most of the ammo I would find that was quote unquote, uh, defensive ammo either shot really high or really low. And so the struggle was, well, do, do I go with the perceived performance aspect of it, which through some of Mark's research is kind of proven to be not real performance E. Uh, so the, the, the more important thing to me would be accuracy. I like things to shoot right at the top of the front sight at 10 yards. At, that's the, the bare the, the bar for entry. Right. So, so uh, Mark, let's kick it over to you. So we got the need is there, there wasn't anything really out there that kind of fit the role. And then when you got the ammo, you have some test protocols you do. So kind of yes, talk through that for a bit.
2: All right, well, as Rob said, I'm still working on the book, and it's been proven to be a really interesting project. Uh, I've got all my data gathered up. I'm getting ready to take photos, finish up the manuscript, and then I'll get it, uh, just have somebody do some proofing it, on it, and then hopefully get it, get it out here.
0: So, well, let's spoil so, it for everybody. What What is the book going to be on? It's going to be on the use of wide cutters for defensive use. Oh, okay.
2: Um, the title will be wide Cutters, Worthy or Worthless. And... Is testing over 70 different wad cutter loads uh, through four different calibers, through multiple barrel lengths, through multiple testing from uh, bare, uh, clear, clear ballistic gel, bare gelatin, FBI protocol, heavy clothing, and then 4 layer denim. Also through walls, uh, angle shooting, and also various mediums um, through the testing process I tried to use To simulate bone, it didn't work well, but we were able to do it. So I've got some pretty good ideas of what will penetrate deep enough. To go off what Rob was saying, um, I'm also wanting somebody to shoot the sights. i got to have that. I want something that penetrates adequately into uh, ballistic gelatin and hopefully then into people. And with that, I've seen wad cutters used. Everybody gets this idea of a wide cutter is universal of everything. And, like, any other load, any other, you know, no hollow point. If a hollow point fails, everybody doesn't say, oh, my God, hollow points suck. Uh, so if they had a wad cutter or when somebody used it, uh, all wide cutters suck. And that's not true. Their wide cutters are different just like anything else. So I wanted to find out what worked and what didn't work, and so I've done extensive testing with it. Rob and I uh, were talking about this, and I thought this would be a great project to have a dedicated load uh, designed for defensive use, sold for that. Uh, there's several rounds out there that you know can do the job, but this is sold specifically and designed for the purpose of a defensive load in a uh, affordable box that people can get and carry, and then they can go and use other wad cutters for practice. And but they have a good duty load they can use. So I started testing it uh, when it came out. I was pretty much done. You and I talked about this just as I was. Uh, on your last podcast and when the load came out i started testing it and found out it worked really well um i was very pleased with it performance of it uh went down um if you're ready for the numbers i can give you some approximate numbers of how it's done over the uh, period of testing and i've shot about 150 rounds of it so far uh, out of my j frame and all mine was done out of one eighths inch j frame for the majority of testing but I also wanted to test it in a foreign service revolver and because the, the people have those for home defense revolvers. I think WODCUT is a viable tool for that, too. Uh, for, that means everybody can shoot it because it will lack of recoil. And then I also actually shot it out of a carbine just
0: to see what it would do. Well, so, cool. Well, well, Rob wanted to interject something before you get into sure. the numbers
1: game there. Okay. Yeah, briefly, when we started working with Curtis, he loaded up three or four different loads at at 20 or 25 feet per second increments and sent to Mark. And what I wanted to say is Mark said, you know, when the load came out, let's rewind a little bit. Mark was very instrumental in the prototype loads and deciding really which one was going to work the best and at which velocity we really needed to shoot for. The 750 we just threw out there, um, just kind of a swag (laughs) based on what the target stuff was doing um and we weren't we weren't committed to that. But Curtis was nice enough to load stuff at at seven, seven twenty-five, seven fifty, you know, several different velocities. And that's where Mark's initial testing really validated this load. And that's what Curtis went into production. So I want to give Mark credit for really being the, the person that tested the prototype loads uh that brought us where we are today. So back to you, Mark. Okay. The uh, prototype loads uh, also, well, folks, let
2: me back up. Folks need to understand that just because this is what this load does in my gun, uh, it's not going to be necessarily what it does in your gun. Variable, um length is one thing, but this, we talked about cylinder gap. Cylinder gap is crucial. Uh, the tighter the cylinder gap, usually the more velocity you have. Uh, LCRs will shoot a little hotter than J frames will. Bores tighter, not necessarily a, a, a tighter cylinder uh, or gap, but the bores are tighter, which increases pressure. Same way with Colts. So, depending on what gun you shoot it through, it can make a difference. I have two 642s that I have that I, I use for this testing process. Both of them were two of a. Um, difference in cylinder gap and over 20 feet per second, on average about 20 feet per second difference in velocity between two identical guns. Uh, you incorporate uh, a larger cylinder gap and you're going to get performance. Some of the some of the target wad cutters can do quite well uh, depending on the gun you've got, but some of them then, if you've got a big cylinder gap, you have no margin of error. Uh, if you happen to be one that has a larger cylinder gap, you may not get enough velocity out of the, uh, Target loads to get them to work in your gun. So, this was a consideration we had to do too. There's a, an article going to be coming out from the folks, uh, the revolver guys, for those of you who know them, uh, Mike Wood and Kevin McPherson. Uh, I don't want to give all of their stuff away, but they tested the load and Mike, or sorry, uh, Kevin's testing showed that the uh, Georgia arm load was going about 40 feet per second slower than what it did in my guns. But so was every other one cutter he tested with it, uh, which were the big three US ones. And they went in about 40%. So, my don't know what his cylinder gap is, but he showed me a picture of the gun. And it is a very old 642, so worn and finished that he has put a uh, Cerakote olive green on it. And even it's literally worn off. So, he's had that gun for a long time. It's, he's a copper out New Mexico. And he carries that as his backup gun uh, on his ankle all the time. So it's a well-used, well-worn gun. So folks need to understand that, that the nice thing about this load at that 750 level we talked about, do you need it necessarily get penetration? No, not in every gun. But what you do get out of it is it gives you a margin of error. If you're the one that has the, the load or the cylinder that's got a .10 cylinder gap on it, this gives you that margin of error where you still have enough velocity to get the adequate penetration you need and yet the load's controllable and all the loads out of all the 642s the load is extremely controllable i was uh at the revolver roundup i shot the justin dials um i can't think of it right now it's the uh, five, five yard round. roundup yeah and except for one one round out of my uh 642 yeah i see the target
0: there nicely done um that's that's a I, 107x by the way i don't Nope, I, threw, I, threw, I,
2: threw, I threw one eight um, out of it. Otherwise, everything else was in the uh, nine and ten and X ring. Uh, I had two, 10, two nines and the rest was in the ten. With my 642, with my stocks, and with the uh, George Arm load. So it's very controllable. Uh, my stocks are boot grips and it's what I carry every day. So I'm not going to carry a load that I can't carry. There's been a lot of other loads out there. We, you know, we're thinking about trying and talking about, and one of them that was the, uh, the big claim to fame was going to be the load was the uh, Federal HST. HST some of the best ammo in existence today, except in the 38 Special. And in testing of it, over the short period of its life, they designed three different bullet designs for it. Uh, they had a lot of problems with it, talking to folks at Federal. It wouldn't work reliably for them, in my testing, we had over 100 feet per second difference in velocity from one load to another in the same box. One of them went 928 feet per second, stung the crap out of my hand, and blew up in the gelatin, and only went five inches in the gelatin. Yeah. Because it over- overexpanded too quickly. So this was the reason I tested it. I like the load. It does very well. Um, like I said, we got an average penetration on... Fair gelatin of 17 inches with heavy clothing, we got 16 and a half inches, and with four-layer denim, which is a standard we use for the international wind ballistics uh, testing, was 15.8. Oh wow, um, that, so that's that's
0: impressive for
2: it's and it's and it expands. That's the other thing; it, it, it has some expansion to it. Uh, they're using a uh, zero-brand bullet in their load, and it's a fairly soft load. It does well. Um, it has a good gas seal on it, which is one of the things I like about it, and extremely accurate. Uh, accuracy is just as good as any ammo out there. There's no question. Rob said that, too. Their PPC ammo is well-respected, and it's uh, it's good. The low velocity we had over the whole thing was uh, 740. The highest velocity was 775, and this is out of 150 rounds guys tested. That's, oh, wow. That's, that's, that's pretty, pretty consistent. Average velocity was 756 uh with that expansion and bear gelatin went out to uh, 0.44 inches so just a 44 basically a 44 diameter bullet and through four layer denim which is one of the hardest stuffs to go through it uh, averaged out uh, 0.383 a true 38 special load or 38 caliber bullet rather. it shoots to sight it's controllable it penetrates and wide cutter bullets do what they do which
0: is cut nice clean holes in people and i tell you what i think it's a winner Yeah. So for me, like in the initial startup uh, talking to Rob, I thought, you know what, if we could find somebody to do this load, then if it's somebody that already makes a PPC load, and I was familiar with Curtis Samo from uh, the years of shooting PPC and zero Mm -hmm. bullets and et cetera. uh, And I said, you know, wouldn't it be great if you had, if you had it, framed up as a defensive ammo that somebody could buy the defensive ammo and then purchase a bulk of some type of PPC load that maybe shoots a little lower velocity to have a practice load for your defensive revolver that shot similar to the sites, uh, maybe a little less recoil impulse, but still, uh, still perfectly controllable. Right. So, What's that?
2: Uh, see, let me throw in something. Oh, yeah, go I ahead. I agree with that. Um, the two loads were the slowest of all the wad cutters tests, all the factory wad cutters, and I refer to them as a Big Six, uh, was Southern Blot and Fioshi. Mm-hmm. They're good loads. They shoot adequately. Um, they are accurate enough. They're very easy to shoot, They're pretty accessible um, in normal times. Right now, nothing You know, is still accessible, but at least in normal times, Fioshi and Southern Blot are pretty accessible. And they're a great practice load. I think they're great. But the velocities were down in the low fives on some of it, 579 for the Fiosi and 583 for that. And they just didn't have enough penetration. Uh, The Southern Blot averaged 7.7 inches penetration in four-layer denim uh, with multiple loads fired. And Fiosi averaged uh, 10.15 with multiple loads fired. I think they're a great load, uh, for practice, but I wouldn't want to, if I had a choice, I wouldn't want to bet my life on them. I would bet my life on the, on the, the George arms. It's a good, it's a good load.
0: It will be, it's going to be a very good load for people to carry. So we, we kind of covered why we needed it. Um, and the development of it and Rob, you got something there. I saw your pilot pin come up.
1: Yeah. Just wanted to throw in that, um, if you wanted wholesale validation on this as well as a a real um, example of Curtis's character and commitment to this project. He loaded several thousand rounds of this and basically consigned it to Mark to support the Pat Rogers Memorial Roundup in November of 2022. And uh, he also sent, I think, a lot of some of his PPC loads as well. So he really went out of his way to... To push this out. and one thing I did want to bring up before I forget, uh, the original concept, as well as the concept now, but the original hopes were to load this in nickel brass so that number one it would look different from the PPC load. and right or wrong, people perce- people perceive a nickel case round as a higher quality load but mainly we wanted to differentiate between the target loads and the defensive load. The problem is, is we, the problem, the, the problem is there is no nickel brass to be had. Curtis has been waiting on it since uh, we first started talking in March of 20, in, uh, excuse me, May of 2022. At the point he has some on order. We don't know when it's going to come. Hopefully Q1 of this year, he's going to transition to, the nickel brass and the good thing for the consumer is he's not going to raise price. So I wanted to bring that up, uh now before I forgot about it, you know, as well as talk about the sport he, for you to talk about the support he gave to, to the Pat Rogers, uh, roundup because I was unable to attend, but I know both of you were there. Yeah. I'll, I, I'll, I want to talk about like nickel
0: brass for a minute. And, uh, cause a lot of people right now are stepping into the small revolver world that have never really ventured into it before. And it was explained to me years and years ago by uh, by somebody that, that car- carried a revolver the better part of 30 years professionally that uh, nickel brass or nickel plated brass, uh, the reason that that uh, became so prominent was just for environmentals. Uh, that a lot of uh, police officers specifically and uh, some military units that still carried uh, revolvers had uh, the nickel brass had come to prominence because if that brass stays in the cylinder for some undefined period of time, uh, moisture and other things like that won't corrode the brass or start rusting the cylinder. I mean, that was kind of some of the theory behind it. Uh, And for me personally, I've seen like it re—it tends to reload pre- provided that it's uh, it's properly taper crimped and unroll or roll crimped, whatever you want to call it. Um, it seems to go in and out of cylinders a little easier than maybe some brass that has a bit of corrosion. Uh, and for somebody that's going to carry six rounds or five rounds in a revolver and not change that ammo for the better part of a year, it just had a little better wear characteristic. But if you are a dedicated revolver person, as I am, oh, well, all three of us on this semi-sorta panel are, uh, we're going to change our ammo a little more frequently than that. So uh, the nickel brass, to me, was it was kind of a non-issue. And then, like you said, Kurt, when you let us know, hey, Curtis says as soon as nickel brass comes in, the defensive loads are all getting loaded in nickel brass. I'm, and then I think I heard like angels or something, uh, there, there was a choir that went off about that time, so so good on him for that. And The other the other part of it, let's ta- taper that into the Pat Rogers Memorial Revolver Roundup, uh, where Mark and I got to present, and Mark did his fantastic uh, manipulations. I think he has one of every speed loader, loader that has ever been created by man or beast and knows how to use them in every caliber. So, fantastic block of instruction, and... Uh, a little birdie tells me there are three people uh, from the East coast that are coming to revolve around up next year, specifically to see Mark's manipulation class, because listening to the podcast, they've all started carrying J frames. So good on you for that. Uh, and uh, the other, the other part of that tailoring into that was uh, when Curtis fired up the, the, that making that load uh, at, at all of our requests, Um, there, I don't know if there was apprehension, but there was like, is there demand for it? And, uh, in our conversations, I said, well, you know, the Pat Rogers Memorial revolver roundup, people can shoot as much or as little as they want. And one of the things the year 2021 I saw was several people actually kind of held back on the amount of live fire exercises they were doing because of ammunition availability and he made enough ammo available that every single student could shoot almost as much as they wanted, uh, because the ammo was available. So kudos. Well, and, he Curtis. That,
1: and he did that on, on basically good faith and confidence in the three of us. Yeah. And sent, and sent it out to Mark kind of old consignment. Uh, I mean, yeah. yeah kudos on Curtis. Yeah. You, you, and he sent how many, how much ammo did he send Mark? I don't remember. Right at 4,000 rounds of the snub load. And I believe it was
2: just shy at 3,000 rounds on the PPC load, which by the way, the snub load completely sold out at the roundup. We were, we sold every round we had
0: um, there. There was a PPC that ammo left and I bought all that. Sorry guys. <laughs> well, and, <laughs> and funny enough on the uh, revolver roundup Facebook page that uh, our mutual friend DB kind of moderates, Uh, I saw chatter the next day that a week after the roundup that Curtis was completely sold out of that ammunition. So apparently there is a demand for it. And, and uh, that's because people are, are starting to understand the limited amount of tailored ammunition for small, small revolvers. Uh, And the production of small revolvers right now is really good. Yeah. you know, you can find a 642 in every academy sports coast-to-coast and, and a Ruger LCR to match. So, uh, anyway, so moving on, Mark, uh, I got to know just to satisfy my own curiosity and that of the listener, whatever inspired you to get into ballistic testing the way that you have, uh, have uh, attacked it with, <laughs> I guess you could say, there's no other way to describe it is other than just full- force attack on ballistic data so
2: first off i try not to do anything half-assed if i get into it i get into it um, i've always had an interest in ballistics for um, since i was a young cop in the air force and i i like knowing what bullets do I, in my, my mind i want to know why bullets do what they do and i've been looking for means to be able to test it i've, I've tested stuff back in the days of shooting through pine boards which was the standard I shot into clay, which was a standard. I shot into sand, which was standard. Uh, water soaked, uh, phone, phone books, phone books, the thing you'll just look up telephone numbers in, yeah. it's not Google. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, I also shot into water jugs. I have probably killed in the area of thousands of water jugs over the years. Uh, it wasn't until, and I've been involved in ballistic testing with ordnance ballistic gel, but those are pretty restrictive as to when you can and can't. Um, if I could find my way into a um, you know ammunition testers, I would always take wad cutters in and try it. And the reason I like the wad cutter bullet itself was out of the short barrel guns, it seemed to perform very well. It was easy to shoot and it was able to hit. And again, over my career, I saw uh, a few shootings involving wad cutters where it worked just like it was supposed to. Um, and you know, we've got the nice clean hole and piece of paper. Well, I find that it does that to people and since pistol bullets do their damage by cutting tissue, causing hemorrhage and creating hypovolemic shock, um, it works well in that line because that's exactly what it does to people. Um, our mutual friend, Chuck Hager, told me a great story of a guy who was shot with a wad cutter in uh, his town, and they went through his uh, arm, and they said it almost looked like you could hold his arm up and look through the hole through his arm how it was cut so cleanly through it. Um, and, you know, it was joking, but nonetheless, it was still that kind of, that kind of cleanly wound. So I just, when I got into this, I was tired of people bad-mouthing wad cutters or saying that they were the world's best thing or they weren't. I want to know what was, what was true. So this was what I started this with, expecting that I would find, uh, somewhere near around 15, 20 loads. And lo and behold, in my research, I found 70 different loads, Um uh, between hand loads that I loaded with various bullets and factory loads. Uh, I got, like I say, 70 different loads that I've tested, and it's a lot of data to, to go through and get up with all the material that I shot through. I just want to know what works and what doesn't. And that was, that was my main reason for it. It was, it was for self, self-use self because I want to know if it works or not. I'm betting my life on it. I'm betting my wife's life on it because she carries wood cutters in her 38. So I want to know if it's going to work or not. I've got motivation for this and the fact that a person I care about is there. I'm sure you guys probably experienced this as young, as young cops, too, that whether they meant to or not, we got lied to a lot about what stuff worked and what didn't. Mace was my first one that I learned on. The Mace was <laughs> great stuff. It just sprays somebody in the face, and you know, they fall down, and you know can go put handcuffs on them. And I sprayed the first guy with it, and he damn near kicked my ass. Uh, <laughs> as he would have, had we not gotten uh, there are other people there are subdued by committee. Um, And so I learned that whether they mean to or not, people lie to you. So I want to know myself before I recommend something that's going to work. I want to know it's going to work in my own mind, that I'm going to rely my life on it, the life of my family. And before I will recommend something, somebody carrying something. So I don't ask people to take my word for it. I mean, you need to do your own testing like I do. But it's it's something that I believe in. So I'm going to do it. And that's one reason why I'm writing this book. It was supposed to be an article, but I expanded out into a book. So.
0: Rob, go ahead. You, you look like you're itching to say something there.
1: No, just uh, before I forget, um, for those that have not heard of, of Georgia Arms, they've been in business for over 40 years. And Curtis started as a PPC shooter and he was loading his own. And then started loading for his friends, and then a couple of department teams asked him to load, and he built it into a business. And they have 80-something Ammunition SKUs right now and employ about 30 people. So, this is uh, while it's not a federal or it's not a Remington, well, Remington's a bad choice or a bad, bad example. Um, This is a legitimate company. This isn't a fly by night. And it's really, uh, they're in it for the long haul. Uh, We have talked uh, again about the nickel cases. We've talked about. Um, where to go from here is there is there enough interest in doing a a 32 caliber watch cutter load that's optimized um i don't know i know there are certain people within our, our circle of friends that really like that caliber they like the fact that it's you know six rounds instead of five and it has some potential whether there's enough interest for him to spin up and do it and whether he can get the components or not is is um, yet to be seen, but I will tell you that he is as enthusiastic about this as I think he would be a new grandchild. Go ahead, Mark. I have a dad on the 32s also.
0: Um, Is that going to be in another book
2: or? No, it's going to be in this one. (laughs) But just from this last round roundup, this you guys will find interesting because I did. Um, I have little experience with 32s. It's not been a caliber I've been interested in until I met, some of you guys and i now own two 32 smith and wesson revolvers and i tested all of the current loadings and wad cutters for 32 um smith and wesson long of which i think there's six but we also in this rise roll around we didn't test that but we did test 32 r magnum and 327 federal and through fur layer denim the two loads we tested one of which was a buffalo bore with a 100 grain jacket and hollow point, and the uh, 327 with an 80 grain jacket and hollow point. Neither one of them expanded out of a snub nose revolver in four, with four layer denim. And they penetrated deep, but they you could take both bullets and reload them. So, again, there's not, it's not just a 38 thing, it's there. Uh, well, I'm thinking about this. Rob had mentioned something about uh, helpage. You can make a hollow point go fast enough and to expand out of one and seven inch barrel, but then controllability comes into play. Accuracy. You can make hollow point, and, and, and you know, for being able to hit with it, uh, it doesn't hit the sights. Uh, also, most of them that do open up out of one and seven inch barrel open up too quickly and don't get the adequate penetration. So you've got that the balance in between there is the Addict penetration, which the FBI says should be somewhere between 12 and 18 inches, uh, if you believe their protocols, which, you know, is pretty reasonable and pretty much the standard around. And that you need to uh, be able to control it with the stocks that you've got on your gun and the gun that you've got. You know, it's great carrying, like I say, a scandium 357 Magnum and loading it up. Those bullets will open up and expand, and they'll penetrate deep enough. But can you hit with them? Can you hit more than one and you can't control it. So if the first round doesn't do it, you're probably not going to do it. And you're certainly not going to practice with them it because they flat hurt. And you'll usually damage your gun within about 20, 30 rounds of them. Uh, at least that's my experience through steel frame guns. I've never shot a scandium. nor will I ever shoot a three fifty seven through to a scan. I'm not you, Brian.
0: I know you did. I, I was kind of forced to by default. And, uh, it beat that gun to pieces. I had to shoot a 50 round qualification twice a year. And I did that for two years. So that's 200 rounds. Uh, When I practiced with the gun, oddly enough, back in the day, I would shoot wad cutters because I was shooting PPC. So I had lots of wad cutters. And uh, one day I went and grabbed the chronograph and went down there to a little private area of the range and decided I'm going to see what these 357s are really doing and and to say that I was shocked that I had been punishing myself so so badly for so long uh would be an understatement. So I went to our our arms room and I said, "Hey, I'm going to qualify with 38s. Do we have standard pressure 38s?" Well, oddly enough, we had we still had several cases of standard velocity non-plus P uh 158 grain 38. So I carried that, and then it was about a year, two years later that that ammunition dried up, and the only loading that we could get was 158 grain plus p, and that's when I retired it. Um, and then shortly after that, uh, 125 plus P became the thing. That was the thing that was available and, and is still kind of in the le circles is is pretty available. The 158 stuff is hard to find in 38. A uh, lot more prominent on the 357 side, but even the 357 ammo now, because not a lot of departments are issuing 357 magnums anymore, even that loading is starting to tailor off. So, um, you know, we're left with: well, do I carry something that hurts to shoot and beats my gun up, or do I carry something that says target use only? <sighs> So that was another thing that we we really uh, had to uh, be conscious of was how is the ammunition labeled? So anyway, go ahead, Mark.
2: Well, it just so happens we tested three fifty seven Magnum this time. We had several students. The way the Pat Rogers thing works is we supply a little bit of ammo like we did the Georgia Arms, and I had some specific tests I wanted to do. But most of it, we allow the students to give us their ammunition, to test so they want to know what it does and then i compile a data sheet with it which i just finished um having I mean, sent out to you guys you know you're editing it to make sure there's no exchange but i got a couple couple things on 357s uh we tested the um spear gold dot out of a river lcr 357 with a 1.875 inch barrel it got 930 903 feet per second round right, 903 feet per second 900 and 93 feet per second. It went 13.3 and expanded out to uh, a little over 50, about 56 caliber
0: on average. So, so it did well. Yeah. And uh, how much did you have to true. pay Chuck to hold on to that gun to shoot it? That's, oh, he, 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 <laughs> I'm just he,
2: kidding. He's a math. He, you know, he does this stuff. Um, that's at 993. Okay. If the Buffalo Bore hurts your hand out of a lightweight gun at 920, 993 is going to be worse. All right. So then we went to um, the LCR. We went to the Hornady Critical Defense, and it's a 125 grain with their uh, FTX bullet. It went 1,158 feet per second, got 16 and a half inch penetration, and expanded out to about 46 caliber on average, uh, and retained a good good amount of weight. But again, controllability—that's the thing. And if you if you can control it, then use that. That's good stuff. One thing I didn't mention about the Georgia Arms ammo that we did testing, one of them I did also did, was I did night shooting with them. I wanted to see what kind of muzzle flash all the wand cutters had. And the Georgia Arms, like all the other wand cutters, had very little muzzle flash compared to anything plus P uh, coming out of one seven-inch barrel. Now, why is it that important because if it's 3 o'clock in the morning in your house and you have to defend yourself, the last thing you want to do is have a muzzle flash go off that blinds you, deafens you, and you can no longer see or hear uh, once you pull the trigger, which will happen on the 357 Magnum. So,
1: uh, you know, the, good stuff. From the, go ahead. I, did, I, did, I was not able to uh, do gel testing at the time, but several years ago I wrote up a, a 640 Pro which is really a, a, a pretty cool little little pistol. Smith put some decent sights on it. Uh, they uh, tune up the action a little bit, and it's got the 2.125-inch barrel. And so, Goldop Personal Protection, three fifty seven and it's a 125-grain Goldop bullet, averaged 1232 out of that J-frame. Now, I shot five loads across the chronograph, And I shot five loads at 10 yards off a bag for for quote-unquote accuracy testing. At the end of that, I said, why am I punishing me? And this is my personal gun. Why am I tearing up my gun? And I'll never shoot another Magnum in it again. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. (laughs) And I promise you, if going back, if good quality Model 19s could not hold up to magnums? Absolutely. What makes you think a J-frame is going to hold up to magnums? It's just idiotic. And I posted on, on one of our uh, social media groups, this this snub specific uh, or snub centric that friends don't let shoot friends do not, not let friends shoot magnums out of J-frames. And I hate to tell you the number of people say, well, I carry them and shoot them and they, I can handle it just fine. You know, I don't know what's wrong with you. And I said, you know, I don't get confrontational, but let's go to the range. Let me put you on a timer. Shoot the super snub test. I'll let you shoot it with a, with. – I'll let you shoot it starting with a sights on target. And if you can shoot a 90 or better, then you're a bigger man than I am, than DB is, than, than, than Brian is, than Mark is, because I don't think any of us could shoot it. Even with the largest stocks you can put on a J frame, so going back just because you can doesn't mean you should. The other
0: <laughs> the other caveat that I that I failed to mention earlier when I had that three forty PD uh, scandium titanium, you know, sub eleven ounce three fifty seven Magnum is that gun in two hundred rounds went back to the factory two times, uh, and the last time with a note that came back and they were very friendly about it when they repaired it. Uh, the last, and it, again, it was nothing against Smith and Wesson. It was just kind of what I was left to deal with at the time. But the note that came back on the service repair ticket said, please just shoot 38s in this from now on. Like, and it was, it was kind of said in jest. They were, it, and I'd actually talked to the tech that repaired it. And I told him that the circumstances like, Hey, it's a 357 mag and I'm required to, if I want to carry three fifty seven mag ammo, I've got to qualify with that. And he said, yeah, if you have to shoot them that much, you might want to back that down to 38s. And, uh, and speaking of 38 plus P and model 19s, I've seen model 19s take a beating with plus P ammo out of a, at a 38 or shooting 38 plus P's in a three fifty seven mag. So, uh and the older I get the old heads back in the day said it, it it really doesn't matter shoot 38s whatever you can shoot better and I thought more power meant more better or more perceived power right uh and what I figured out was I tore my hands up and I tore my guns up I, and and I'm a big subscriber to the DB theory that the only gun ever made that was made to digest a steady diet of 357 mags was the Model 27 or the registered magnum in-frame 357 Magnums don't seem to have the durability issues taking a steady diet of Magnum ammo, but those guns are now to the price point that I will only shoot 38s in them. So,
1: Snubbies just take something different.
2: This, this can get in, so let me start over. Um, I have experience also with the J-frame and 357s, but mine was a 640 uh, with the two and uh, one quarter inch barrel. Um, and, this was Federal 125 grain, uh, Jack point, which was the load. I shot 15 rounds of it through a chronograph um, and did accuracy testing. The gun was badly out of time in 15 rounds. And I took it to Smith & Wesson at the National Shooting Championships and let um, Jimmy Ray work on the gun. And he was able to get it back up into time again and said, don't shoot any more .357s in it. You're stretching the frame, and you're going to ruin the gun. And that was a steel frame gun with 15 rounds of the full house federal, which was one of the hottest loads out there at the time. Uh, so it's a, really, it's a really decent duty load as far as being a shoot If you're going to shoot magnums, but just not out of a snubby. And there's no way I could control it. This was all slow fire through the chronograph. Um, I wouldn't even try to, to do it. Drill. I did. I did do on the Buffalo board. I did try to do the uh, um, revolver roundup, the five five yard roundup with it, and could not keep them on the target. I with the first round being second round in, but the, by the time I was to third fourth round on the drills, there was there was no way I could keep them in the target. And that's me shooting it. And that's just
1: I know my limitations, so I'm not going to shoot them, and they hurt my hand. So so while we're in an edit mode um Brian if you want to let us know where you where you want to go so when we pick back up it sounds kind of organized since we took a tangent
0: well it's funny I'll kick it back off uh Caleb Giddings and I running a bay together uh just trading off classes at the York the the famous York range of gunsight Academy there and uh Caleb brought up a a little piece from a movie, uh, the movie Magnum Force. And he, he was talking about making a reload with comp two speed loaders. And he said, you know, I worked on this for about a year, just trying to get different ways to feed a speed loader fed revolver to be legal in competition. And he said, and I figured out this technique and I thought I've reinvented the wheel. It's, it, this is my technique and all this stuff, and he said. And then I'm watching Magnum Force on like TBS one night, and I see they're at the uh, the Hogan's Alley scene where they're shooting, and it's is Callahan gonna win the tenth his tenth pistol shooting competition in a row, and he gets bested by this guy who uses the same reloading technique that he that Caleb had rediscovered, right? And he said, man, I hung my hat. And I said, man, the old guys knew what they were doing. And whoever wrote that movie was a gun nut because they knew
1: no how, to, how, to,
0: yeah, how to feed a revolver. And I said, you want to know something else pretty interesting about that movie? He said, what? And I said, when they're in the basement gun range. And uh, Clint Eastwood hands his Model 29 to uh, one of the younger motor jocks. And he goes, I don't know if I could handle all the Magnum. And he goes, oh, I keep it loaded with light specials. And I went... Those dudes had it figured out in 1973. There's no sense in shooting magnum ammo out of a handgun, right? Uh, And then the reload, I was like, wow, it's like we just unearthed this stuff from the middle of the desert again. So anyway, you guys got any quick final thoughts? We've been going at it about an hour, and I got plenty of editing. So,
2: Is my stuff on the the magnum revolver going to be in there? You're going to put my stuff in? Okay, that's fine um no i I think i'm good the uh the georgia load i think is going to fit the need we need for that um type gun the one in seven eighths inch if we can get people stigma over the fact that they're shooting a wad cutter because they don't um think a wad cutter will do the job and I, i i'm convinced it will again i wouldn't carry it if i didn't and hopefully my book when it comes out will uh Will help give a little more insight into that on all the different testing I did. Uh, we did talk about deflection. nice uh, thing about wide cutters is they don't fl- deflect, they stay point on. So you can shoot something at a 45 degree angle um, that is capable of penetrating and it doesn't deflect or graze off of it like uh, round nose bullets seem to do or uh, hollow points seem to do. They'll, they'll penetrate and dig in deep. It's not a load for shooting through windshields. It's not gonna be a load shooting through a car door. We talked about that last time we did the, the uh, podcast. But it is a good personal protection load for uh, people against people. And it does go through a wall sufficiently that it will it will certainly do damage on the other side that you don't want to have done for an innocent person if you miss. So hits are important and that's the big thing with it. We gotta get hits and with the one cutter loads you can get hits. So, Rob, final, final,
0: final thoughts. Thought.
1: Yeah, just uh, for those that are really interested, uh, the website is georgia-arms.com and on his home page, he shows uh, the ultimate defense snubby load. When they first went into production, there were some people that were getting getting confused in ordering his PPC load and Curtis was getting back with him and trying to correct that. So Uh, Make sure you order, if you're interested in this, the Ultimate Defense Load. And uh, that product code is G38S. And, again, look forward to uh, some more testing. Uh, It's what I'm carrying now in in my J-frames. And and, uh, just a big thanks for for Curtis for willing to – listen to a couple of old farts and, and take a chance on this. I will tell you that sales have been good. Uh, Once it was launched at uh, the revolver roundup, of course he had sent a good bit there. I think Mark said 4,000 rounds or so, but he held some back and it went out of stock And the next week he was reloading and he went out of stock then. And so it's, it's been a pretty solid seller and it's gotten some, some good press and, and some other people are, are looking at it and going to be doing some other additional coverage, but just a a big thanks to Curtis for being willing to listen and take a risk on us and, and supporting us like he has. So well done, sir. All right. So, uh, let's see.
0: So what do we got upcoming? Of course, the roundup is coming up in November and if you want to get some of that GA ammo, you might want to order now. Um, and then, uh, I'll be out in Georgia with Mr. Garrett here in February to go see Mr. Cagle walk across the parade field and, and uh, might be doing a little gun shopping. Mark, what do you got on the horizon?
2: Well, as you mentioned, Revolve Roundup, I'll be there again. Um, this just came up a class, and it's an open enrollment class for any law enforcement firearms instructors who want to become a precision rifle instructor. Um, I'm going to have one in Mojave County, Arizona, which is Kingman. Um, February 13th to 17th. I know it's short notice, but we just got this thing scheduled. And if uh, anybody's interested, they need to go to the instructor development school for that. Uh, they can reach me at my website, my my uh, email address, which is aftt17 at hotmail.com. And just put that on there. And then I have my annual class up in Wyoming, which uh, Mr. Bolke will be up assisting me again with. Uh, it is in June uh, starts June 17th I believe it is June 17th It's a handgun for four days uh, with a home defense scenarios and personal protection drills uh, that we do kind of like a call like a mass but it is skill based and then we do rifle. And then long-range rifle um, out to a 1,000 yards. And again, you can get more information, just email me, and I'll be happy to send you the information. And that's AFTT. Give me your email again.
0: It's AFTT17 A-F-T-T at Hotmail. AFTT17 at Hotmail. If you're looking to uh, get into a class with Mr. Fricky in uh, Mojave, Arizona, or Wyoming in June, um, and uh, if you do get a chance to go to that Wyoming class, Uh, the, you're up there for what, eight days,
2: eight days, eight
0: days. Yeah. And
2: And we're we're shooting everything from handgun to patrol rifle, uh, to practical rifle with uh, bolt action lever actions and a little bit of shotgun work. And then long range, um, not a sniper school, but a long range school for guys who like to shoot long range, out to a thousand yards. And it's, it's a lot of fun. This will be my 29th year of doing it, uh, in the same place, at the same location and, very reasonably uh,
0: priced. So, AFTT. Come, let us know. Give it the email AFTT 171 seven Hotmail. Hotmail. Well, thanks, Mark and Rob, for coming on to the Off Diddy On Diddy podcast and talking all about those little lead pills called Wad Cutters. A reminder if you haven't already, and I know most of you have, check out today's sponsor, Manisex and barrel block uh barrel block is just a fantastic tool for the money edc belt company as always come on guys edc belt company the foundation belt Uh, EDCbeltcode.com. excuse me it will, uh, this will probably be the last podcast until after shot show. Stay tuned on the Facebook page and the concealed carry.com Facebook and YouTube page. I'll be out there shooting some video content for your enjoyment. Got, uh, got some appointments set up and also. Send me a link through the podcast page. If there's a product you want me to go take a look at for SHOT Show, something you're interested in, shoot me a message, and I'll see what I can do to accommodate you. Also got a Patreon page going, Eastridge Training and Consulting. A little, little side note there. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast on Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you like to listen to podcasts. The Off-Duty, On-Duty Podcast a production of Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC. Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC, presents the following content for educational purposes only. Always take proper precautions, follow all firearm safety rules, consult with a competent firearms instructor, and have trained medical staff on hand when operating live firearms. Legal content, commentary, or explanations do not constitute legal advice. We are not attorneys and recommend always consulting with competent legal counsel When researching or seeking to understand laws and legal application, Eastridge Training and Consulting LLC, its participants, partners, and affiliates are not liable for any action taken based on the content of this shared podcast.